Thanks for tuning in to the Archive, brought to you by the Mail Tribune. I'm Alyssa Corman, and I'll be sharing the news with you from 100 years ago in the splendid city of Medford and Jackson County at large in 1918. We've got a lot to talk about today. There was quite a bit of excitement in the Siskiyous when a well-known local was pulled over. Our local hatcheries are doing great and a crafty thief is finally caught. I've got all this and more to tell you, so pull up a seat and let's delve right in. Chief of Police Hitson issued a warning Friday to all property owners to comply with the ordinance, which prohibits tree limbs from overhanging sidewalks below a distance of 10 feet. Many complaints are being made of limbs in front of various homes throughout the city, overhanging lower than 10 feet. The ordinance provides a fine of $5 in costs for violation of its provisions. Chief of Police Hitson will also start a crusade at once against owners of cows, who tie them in vacant lots so the animals can get onto the sidewalks. Many complaints have been received and the ordinance will now be enforced to the letter. Speaking of city ordinances, the Ashland City Council this week instructed the city attorney to prepare an ordinance empowering the police judge of that city to order prisoners to work out fines in the various city departments when unable to pay cash for violation of ordinances. Remember last week how I told you about the permanent camp of deputies, which was established up on the Siskiyous to guard against bootlegging? Well. This week, deputy sheriffs try to handcuff a Siskiyou autoist. And, well, it didn't exactly go as planned. A sensational episode transpired in the Siskiyou's early Saturday evening when two of Sheriff Jennings' special deputies, Jason Hartman and Will Hall Lee, stationed on the mountain to catch bootleggers, stopped B.G. Worthington, the well-known Medford businessman, and in attempting to forcibly sneak handcuffs on him, badly bruised his wrists. Mr. Worthington, who had no liquor in his car and was not resisting arrest, will bring a suit for damages. Worthington was returning from a visit to some mining claims and had a number of valuable ore specimens locked up in the rear of his car. He had stopped on the mountain to put water in the radiator and was just about to go on when Lee, wearing a deputy sheriff's badge, called to him to stop as he wanted to search his car for boots. Worthington stopped while the deputy searched the pockets and underneath the seats of the car. The deputy then, finding that the rear box of the car was locked up, demanded that Worthington open it and allow him to look through. This Worthington refused to do and explained that he had valuables in the compartment that he did not want to be seen by anyone passing on the highway. The Medford man defied the deputy to break open the compartment without a search warrant and invited the officer to place him under arrest, take him to Ashland, and there get a search warrant and he would open up the compartment. About this time, Jason Hartman of Jacksonville, another special deputy sheriff stationed on the mountain, drove up in a Ford car and took part in the dispute. The smaller deputy addressing him as Sheriff explained that Worthington refused to allow him to search the compartment without a warrant. Lee placed his hand on his hip pocket and threatened to draw his revolver. 
Worthington dared him to do so, and the deputy then withdrew his hand from his pocket. Worthington was seated with his hands on the steering wheel, ready to go ahead whenever they said the word, and suddenly Hartman made a lunge at his wrists with a pair of handcuffs and repeated the operation several times, Worthington each time pulling his arms away in time. The latter was so indignant over this treatment, which he says is only handed out to thugs and murderers and not to reputable citizens, that he declared they could only place handcuffs on him over his dead body. More argument followed, Worthington inviting the deputies to place him under arrest and take him to Ashland. Hartman finally announced that Worthington was under arrest and with the latter's consent, got in the car and rode with him to Ashland and then before Justice of the Peace Gowdy. At the command of the Justice, Worthington unlocked the compartment and the Justice looked through it. Then, despite Justice Gowdy's advice, Hartman insisted on swearing out a warrant for Worthington's arrest on the charge of resisting an officer. The warrant was issued, the hearing was set for Tuesday morning, and Worthington was released on $100 bail. Attorney Porter J. Neff has been retained by Worthington to look after his interests in the case and to possibly bring a damage suit. County Prosecutor Roberts, by virtue of his office, will represent the state at the hearing. According to reports around town, Lee, who first stopped Worthington and later threatened to pull his gun on him, has made a practice of pulling the gun out and flourishing it during arguments with angry autoists, whom he has stopped for the purpose of searching their cars. Patriotism comes in all forms, yes? Well, one man showed his patriotic spirit when he galloped up the steps of the Capitol to give our nation confidence. This story came to us from Washington on May 13th, and I just had to share it with you. J.C. Gray of Albany, New York, came to Washington on May 13th, hired a horse and galloped halfway up the steps of the Capitol before the police could stop him. Gray explained to his captors that the country needed confidence and horse sense. He had the confidence, Gray explained, and added that the horse had the sense. The policeman agreed with Gray, but sent him to a detention ward for mental observance. Supplies for the Red Cross are surely in your home, just under your nose, perhaps without you even realizing it. According to a report from Red Cross headquarters, the salvage department of that organization is lacking sufficient material to conduct its work. It is requested that people having partly worn clothes who would like to see them put to good use can have their wish gratified by giving them to the Red Cross. The clothes may be brought to the parlors in the Sparta building, or persons having them may leave their phone number and they will be called for. Some of the articles required are flour sacks, linen, sheets, and pillow slips, and any wool or cotton apparel that can be worked over. Since we're on about the Red Cross, there is a considerable doubt whether the work of the Junior Red Cross will be continued this summer. However, it is announced by leaders of that work that from present indications, there will be no cessation in it. The manner in which the children grasp the work and the gratifying results obtained 
give rise to the belief that the efforts to keep up the good work will be made. For those itching to get out into the wilderness and enjoy the splendor of nature, Crater Lake Road is being said to open by June. Will G. Steele, Commissioner of Crater Lake Park, has returned from a visit to the park and predicts that by June 1st, it will be possible to reach headquarters by auto. He went in from the Klamath side and was able to go by auto to within five miles of headquarters. He came out by the Medford entrance and was met by James Frivey in an auto within a mile of the park line. Thursday, a foot of new snow fell in the park. There was already two feet of snow left from the winter's snow. A year ago, the same date, there was three and a half feet of snow on the ground. There's every indication of an unusually early season, as there's less snow in the mountains than usual. The gold bullion bandit we told you about in our print publication on April 3rd has finally been caught, and he admits the robbery. Robert W. DeWitt, one of the robbers who held up R. Boswell and his son, Robert Jr., at their placer mine near Holland May 1st, has been captured and is now confined in the Josephine County Jail awaiting examination. DeWitt was apprehended on Thursday at a mine about halfway between Wairika and Happy Camp, where he had stopped to secure work. From descriptions of the robbers which had been sent broadcast from the sheriff's office, Men working at the mine suspected DeWitt and went to Wairika 40 miles in order to telephone to Sheriff Lewis for further details. The sheriff was positive they had the right man and gave instructions to arrest him without delay. Sheriff Lewis and Deputy Sheriff Lister with Robert Boswell Jr. left Thursday night for Wairika and returned Friday night with the prisoner who, when arrested, had a 30-30 automatic rifle and an automatic pistol. From the story of DeWitt, who admits the crime, a story of duplicity and treachery is revealed, as well as the details of a well-planned holdup, which resulted in the theft of $6,000 in gold bullion. According to the story, DeWitt and his partner went to Waldo for the express purpose of robbing the Easterly Mine. They camped in the hills overlooking the mine for a few days, and for a day, his partner watched operations at the mine through a glass, but decided that the plan was not practical. They then moved camp to a site not far from Boswell Mine, and posed as prospectors looking for chrome. A close watch with a glass was kept on the operation at the Boswell Mine, and at just the opportune time, the holdup was staged resulting in the securing of about $6,000 in gold. The two men, after the robbery, took to the hills, heading for the California line, keeping well away from trails and roads, showing a thorough familiarity with the country. DeWitt says that after a time, he became worn out and also suffered from poison oak, and he proposed that they make camp and rest. The partner mentioned that it was too close to the trail, but that he would go over to a nearby flat and make camp, build a fire and have supper ready. He offered to carry DeWitt's blankets and his bundles in which the gold was carried. The offer was accepted and when DeWitt, who carried only the two guns, came to the camping place, he found that no camp had been made. 
This was the last he had seen of his partner. Being broke, hungry, and cold, DeWitt made for a mine and secured work, putting in one day for which he received his board and $2.75. At the Wairika jail, DeWitt's troubles again started when he was up before a kangaroo court composed of 18 or 20 prisoners and was fined $2.75. Then he was broke again. Young Boswell, who picked out DeWitt from a group of miners as the men who had robbed the mine, paid to Sheriff Charles B. Howard of Siskiyou County the $250 reward, which will be paid over to I.F. McCoy and John B. Johnson, the deputy sheriff and the miner who arrested DeWitt. Sheriff Lewis is certain they will be able to apprehend DeWitt's partner and had hopes of securing the greater part of the bullion. That's all for now, folks. Remember, these news stories have been brought to you by the Mail Tribune, a weekly series featuring news items that were drawn from the archives of the Mail Tribune from 100 years ago. You can find more stories like this in the MT100 column in the newspaper or online at mailtribune.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Have a swell day! And check back next week for more stories from the archive.